Thank you for joining the Home Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at myhomechurch.org. And, uh, and what I want to do is I want to talk to you about uh, Luke chapter 2 is eventually where we're going to get to. I'm just going to highlight something in Revelation 12. Uh, but what I want to do is I want to talk to you about two of what I believe are the most overlooked yet critical um, figures in the entire Christmas narrative. All right? I think that the two most overlooked but the two most critical uh, to the Christmas story. And when, when we talk about the Christmas story, obviously, first thoughts we have, uh, baby Jesus, <laughs> and uh, rightfully so, he's the center of everything. But we think about wise men, we think about shepherds, uh, we think about Mary and Joseph, we think about the angels. There's, there's a number of things that uh, come to mind, and, and understandably so. But before the Virgin Mary ever came uh, and gave birth to Jesus, before any of these other figures actually hit the scene that we're well acquainted with, there was a couple of saints who caught a vision of what God was about to do on earth. They, they caught a vision that God was getting ready to release the Messiah on earth. And when they heard of what God was about to do, their hearts were stirred by this, and they began to give their lives over to this one thing. They began to seek the Lord in order to see this promise come to pass. And the two characters that I want to highlight this morning are Simeon and Anna. Has anyone ever read about Simeon and Anna? Well, then we're in for a treat this morning. Simeon and Anna, man, we're going to see their lives. They were totally marked by this, this reality that God had revealed to them in their 20s that he was about to uh, move and bring the Messiah on earth. And they were ones that I believe really partnered with God to see the birth of Jesus. Simeon and Anna, they teach us, there's so many things I feel like that God's gonna highlight this morning. One of them is, on a personal level, they teach us how to persevere for promises. Because as we're gonna see, it was six decades where they began to press into what God had put on the inside of them. At the same time, I believe, and I, this is really important, that Simeon and Anna, we're gonna see, it's fascinating, there was an anointing on their lives to dedicate themselves to worship and prayer, it says, day and night. And I love that because if you know what we're doing as a body, God's called us to be a house of prayer that worships and prays day and night. Right now we're in Tuesdays and Fridays, but we see God going to do it every single day. And the point is, is that there was an anointing over Simeon and Anna to be forerunners for the first coming of Christ. They were forerunners, meaning that they were sent in advance to prepare the way and to prepare the people for the coming of the Messiah. And as we near the return of the Lord, his second coming, God is going to release anointings like Simeon and Anna over bodies and individuals that are going to prepare the way for the second coming of Christ. And I am so stirred in my heart that we're actually going to be stepping in into that. So here's, here's the quick background is that in 63 BC, Rome captured Jerusalem, destroyed it, captured it. And at this time, Simeon and Anna were probably in their teens, if not early 20s at, at best. And I believe that it's at this time that God began to develop a cry on the inside of them for God to come. For, from their 20s, for the next 60 years, they're in their 80s when we read Luke 2. For the next 60 years, there was a cry in their heart. And the cry was this, Messiah Come, deliverer come, rescuer come, set us free from this Roman oppression. There was an ache on the inside of their hearts. They longed, they, Simeon and Anna longed for the one who would usher in every Old Testament prophecy and promise. 
And when they caught wind that God was about to do this in their era, in their epoch, they gave everything up to this one thing. And I believe God's inviting us as a body to do the very same thing. So here, here's the deal. We talk about how many of you, the Christmas spirit, right? I, I just, I want us to get rooted in this. The Christmas spirit. Because when we talk about Christmas spirit in, in our culture, the Christmas spirit is a, is the excitement and expectations of what comes around at this season, right? Now, if I were to be, I'll be completely honest with you, I love the Christmas season. I love everything about it. I love, I love the, the music. I love the family time. I love the decorating, the shopping. I love the increased time with family, friends. I love all of that, and there's nothing wrong with it. But the Christmas spirit is rooted in something deeper than just those things. Like, we can enjoy them and we can be excited, but I want you to get just, like, your eyes be opened up to what is the true, like, spirit of Christmas. What is the excitement? What's the expectation rooted in? The expectation of Christmas is deeper than having a lot of presents to open up with family on December 25th. The, the, the spirit of Christmas is Messiah come. That's the expectation was we need a deliverer, we need a rescuer, we need someone to ransom us. And Simeon and Anna were marked by the true spirit of Christmas. The expectation was we need one to set us free from our sins. We need one to set us free from our oppressors. We need one to set us free from the kingdom of darkness. And there was a longing in the hearts for thousands of years. This intercessory cry spanned the people of Israel. Come Messiah and Christmas is the celebration that he came. He broke through. Like he actually came. God is here. One of my favorite songs around this time is, O come, O come, Emmanuel, and rescue captive Israel. That is the cry of Christmas. O come, Emmanuel. Do you know that even to this day, there's still a cry in the heart of man. Lord, come. Rescuer, come. Deliverer, come. And the beauties that we celebrate that he did and that he made it. And so I want to I look at some. Look at Revelation chapter 12 really quick. And I, I, I love this because the same O come, O come, Emmanuel, that ushered in the first coming of Christ, we were just singing about it before. You know how the Bible ends? We say this scripture a lot. Revelation twenty two seventeen says, the spirit and the bride say, come. So the same spirit of Christmas that ushered in, it never goes away. We're actually going to see it intensify upon bodies as we see the longing for the Lord to return again. And I, I just want you to see this picture. Revelation chapter 12, verse 1 and 5, and then we'll go into Luke 2. Uh, I can't get into all the details, but Revelation, it's, a, it's got a lot of apocalyptic language, and it can be kind of difficult, and I'll try to just simplify this. I feel like this is one of the great summaries, these first five verses of the Christmas spirit. Like it really catches the ache for a Messiah to come and what's been happening for thousands of years before Jesus came on this earth. And it really lays out a storyline for the entire Bible. And look, verse 1 of chapter 12. It says this, and a great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and on her head a crown of 12 stars. There's a lot going on there, but here's the deal. This woman, there's actually layers of application. She's a picture of Israel. Eve actually gets brought into this as you keep reading. Mary, here's the point, is that she represents all these different women in the big picture, the people of God that would usher in the Messiah. She's, she's the ultimate picture of, 
of the people of God carrying the Messiah and giving birth to him on the earth. And look what it says in the next verse. She was pregnant and crying out in birth pains and the agony of giving birth. This is, this is the cry of Christmas. This is, this is Israel. This is every prophet, every king. They, they had an ache. They had a, a crying out for the birth of this child to come. Agony hit them because they were so longing for the deliverer and for the rescuer to make it here. And then it says this. And another great sign or another sign appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon with seven heads and ten horns and on his heads seven diadems. His tail swept down a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth. And it says, and the dragon stood before the woman. Listen to this. And the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth, so that when she bore child, he might devour it. But she gave birth to a male child, one who is to rule all the nations with a rod of iron, but her child was caught up to God and to his throne. There's so much to unpack there, but here's the picture. It's a picture of, of all of the promises and expectation for this child to come. It was a great sign of a woman, but at the same time, there was another great sign, a dragon, it says. Again, it's apocalyptic, but it's a picture of Satan. The point is this. From the beginning, from the moment that, that it came to pass and came into the knowledge of Satan, that there would be a seed of, of one who would come forth from a bloodline, from a tribe. Once he caught wind of that, the dragon has been standing over the woman for all of these thousands of years trying to devour this child. It's been the battle that has waged for years, thousands of years. And, and, and you can go back to Genesis 3, when Adam and Eve sin, and it says right from the beginning, God actually prophesied that a, that a seed would come forth through Eve. And it says this, this seed would actually crush the head of the serpent, but his heel would be bruised. In other words, it says that he's going to be crucified as the bruising, but he will crush the head of the serpent in the crucifixion. The point is, though, is that there's been a dragon, a serpent, the enemy, that has come after this seed from the beginning. Once he knew it's going to come through a womb, he's been searching out for this child. Go to Herod, right, when baby Jesus was born. Every child, two and under, he tried to kill all of them to kill Jesus. Do you know what we're celebrating this year? At this time of the year, what the Christmas spirit is? The child got through. He broke through. God made it. He came here. The enemy tried to devour him, but he could not thwart the plans of God. And what we're celebrating at this time of the year is that the word became flesh. Deliverer is here. Rescuer is here. Ransomer is here in our midst. That's the cry of all of our hearts. And Simeon and Anna carried a cry for that first coming of, of the Lord that, that spanned thousands of generations. They were the climax of that cry. And I believe, like I said, that it's for individuals, it's for our body, that God is releasing a similar cry, a similar anointing upon us, that we're going to be used, honestly, to, to usher in the return of the Lord. Now, we may not see it in our time, that point, but, but it's not just the overall big second coming of Christ. I believe there's going to be waves of glory that will precede the second coming of Christ. That's what we've been talking about. And what's going to happen is bodies are starting to be marked with this ache in their hearts that say, Lord, you've got to come. Deliverer, you've got to show up. Our ways are not working. 
our humanistic methods and our touching lives. We need Messiah to come in a fresh way. And before he comes once and for all where he cracks the sky open and comes in power and glory, he's going to come in waves of glory before that. And I believe God is setting us up with worship and prayer day and night to be a people where we're going to partner with him in our prayers and our longings are going to hasten the coming of the Lord. And we're going to see this happen in our lives. So this is the spirit of Christmas. Messiah has come and he has rescued us. So turn with me real quick to Luke chapter 2. Are you with me? Luke chapter 2. Jesus has broken through. I want us to really just kind of work through their story of of Simeon and Anna, again, there's, there's a specific thing I feel in my heart. It's really giving vision for where we're going as a body, but I trust the Lord will just bring layers of application and speak in personal ways. Luke chapter 2, I'm going to start in verse 25, and eventually we'll make our way to verse 38. But here's what's happening. Jesus was brought to the temple on the eighth day of his, he's eight days old. This is an eight-day-old baby Jesus, and he's brought to the temple to be dedicated it's according to the law. And when he comes into the temple, we're going to see Simeon and Anna come to the stage. Two individuals that from their 20s, for the past 60 years, they're now in their 80s, have been waiting and longing and crying out for this moment right here. This is so, so important. Before Mary ever gave birth, these saints were pressing into this promise. And here's what it says in verse 25. We'll pick it up there. Simeon comes first. It says, now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon, and this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. So I love this. So Simeon, what do we know about him externally? We don't know anything about him. We don't know what he looks like. We don't know much about that because, honestly, God doesn't really care so much about what that, that is when it comes to his callings over our lives. What we do know is his inner life. He's righteous and he's devout. He walks in righteousness, and he's devout. He's steadfast. He's unwavering. Since God pierced his heart with what he was going to do in his generation, he says, I'm, I'm unwavering to seeing this thing come to pass. This is David in Acts 13. David has said over his life that he fulfilled all the Lord's purposes in his generation, meaning God has specific purposes for a generation, and when we find out what it is, you know what our job is? To not walk on the fringes of it, but to give ourselves wholly to it. To live for something bigger than our own personal life and gain. Because at the end of the day, there's something bigger than just this life that we have. So Simeon is righteous and devout, and he's given himself over to what the Lord has called him. And what was that? Look what it says. It says, he was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was upon him. This is amazing. Can you imagine going to high school with Simeon and then seeing him a few, a few years later and saying, Simeon, it's good to see you. What are you up to? And he says, oh, I wait for the consolation of God's people. <laughs> yeah, but like, how do, you, how do you make money? What do you do? He says, no, 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 my job, my, this is my job. I wait for the comforter to come of my people. I wait for deliverer to come. I wait for redeemer to come. I give my heart over to this. And you know what? The Holy Spirit was upon him, meaning this. The Holy Spirit signed off on this job. The Holy Spirit actually employed him. The Holy Spirit, by him being upon him, saying, this is a worthy assignment. We have different tests, but this man has been set apart to wait for my coming. To wait is not to just twiddle our thumbs. 
as it gets clear, because Luke writes this intentionally to parallel Anna, the waiting is one that's marked by fasting, worshiping, prayer, in the word, seeking Lord, the Lord. Like our longings being lifted up to him day and night to see his promises come to pass. And so he waits upon the consolate, waits for the consolation of, of Israel. Then look at verse 26. Verse 26 says, and it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit. Oh, I love this. That he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Wow, this is where stuff starts getting kind of weird. <laughs> because let's just be honest. If someone were to lift back that curtain right there and come in and say, guys, I don't know how to explain this. But the Lord told me that I'm, gonna, I'm not going to die until I see him come back. You know what we'd say? Sit in the back. <laughs> We'll lay some hands on you at the end. You're unhinged. You're unbalanced. You've lost your mind, right? This is, you're, you're weird, whatever it may be. But, but he caught something. God revealed something to him. And said, so you, you're going to see the coming of my Christ. Has anyone felt like, and I know this, the stirrings in our heart that we're going to see, like, the revival that our heart's been longing for? Yeah, so, so this is going to make us at times look unhinged and weird and unbalanced because we're, ups, we're just obsessed with this thing, seeing God's promise come to pass. And we refuse to define our lives as successful without his promise coming to pass. So we can have lots of money, we can have all this, but we're not going to have a peace in our heart until we see this thing happen on earth. You know what fascinates me about this? God is absolutely sovereign. <laughs> and right now, we're talking about God is sending, he's here, Jesus, in this story, God in the flesh. This is the most glorious transitional moment in history. Like, we've never seen anything like this before, God coming in the flesh. And you know what blows my mind? Is that God is absolutely sovereign. And if he wanted to, he'd have every right to withhold this information. And when he wants to, right before it happens, he just comes and does it. But is that what he does? Before he does these things where he moves powerfully on the earth, you know what he first does? God begins to seek after Simeon's and Annas to open up his heart with. He begins to look for people to say, who will catch my heart? Who can I partner with to reveal what I'm about to do? And I'm actually going to be moved by their prayers, by their fasting, and by their worship for the very thing that I've spoken into them. Like, it never, in the days of Noah, it never, flooded before, it never rained before from the sky. I don't know if you know that. God had his own built-in water sprinkler system. It came up from underneath. It never rained before. And you could have said God would have just waited to do this on his own. No, he said, let me find someone that I can begin to tell what I'm about to do. Because he loves to partner with his creation. I believe that's, again, what he's doing in this house. And it's like, will we steward that and say, Lord, we're going to give ourselves over to this God. Like, what a privilege that you've invited us. You've revealed to us what you're about to do before you ever do it. He anoints people like Simeon and Anna to partner in order to bring about his activity on earth. We call this, and I said it before, we call this forerunners. It's those that go in advance to prepare the way for what God's about to do. John the Baptist was a forerunner, and sometimes people don't understand it. Listen, when you look at, like, history of revival, uh, we got to go through this one time. Every, these revivals, there's such strong critics every time. We get the cleaned-up story at the end. And guess what? If I were to share the same people in the days of Charles Finney, you wouldn't even recognize their names because history does not treat critics well. In the time, it was heavy. But in the end, all we see is what God did and God moved. And so God, God gives us them. They're forerunners. Simeon and Anna were spiritual midwives, <laughs> meaning Mary's the one who gave birth. 
but it was their prayers again, their longings, their desires that was actually leading to the birth of Jesus. They were the climax of the hundreds of thousands of years, whatever came before that, not hundreds of thousands, but thousands of years before the Lord came. God is absolutely sovereign, but he is moved by our cooperation. He's moved by our responsiveness. He's moved by our cries and our longings. Your desires, your tears, your prayers matter. They matter. They actually hasten his coming and his activity on earth. So when you start to get stirred by a promise that God has given you, I want you to know that when you begin to lay your heart out before him, it matters. He stores up those tears, and it actually will quicken him to come and do the very things that he had promised to do. This is a big thing. The sovereignty of God, I think, can really mess us up because God is absolutely sovereign. So my thought is, yeah, this sounds great, but why pray? Why fast? Why worship? Why seek in any of these things? If God's sovereign, he's going to do whatever he wants to do anyway. You know what? It's true. But here's the right question. Will he do it through you? Will he do it through me? Oh, he'll do it. Eventually, he's going to come back. And eventually, we're going to see the waves of glory that come before that. In the midst of all the shaking in our nation, we're going to see that coupling with it. But the question is, will he do it through us? That's what I want. I know he's going to do it. I know he's sovereign, but he's looking for those that will respond right now in this hour and give themselves over to this. When did, when did Simeon receive this? We don't know exactly, but if you look at the story with Anna and you do some, some of the study in the background, it's widely believed that he received this early on in his life rather than later on in his life. Meaning, probably somewhere when Jerusalem fell and we're going to see with Anna when she was in her 20s, Simeon as well in his, in his, in his uh, 80s now, was gripped by something in his 20s. Meaning this is six decades of pressing into this. Guys, this is really, really important. Some things can happen in moments, but other things take time when God gives promises. And I want to encourage you for promises in your own life, but I also want to just encourage us as a whole. There are times when God speaks something and six hours later, I'm ready to give up. Six minutes, if I'm really honest. It's like I feel the Lord. I'm like writing in my journal. He's going to do this. And by the end of the prayer time with him, I'm like, no, 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 no. I, I misheard that. This man and Anna went six decades. Can you imagine this? 60 years with something that God placed on the inside of you, but outwardly you really haven't seen much to confirm that you heard right, except the faint whisper of the Holy Spirit that says, keep going. Don't quit. You heard right. Keep praying. Keep seeking. Keep believing. This is what he had to hold on to. And I, I feel that. I feel it in my own heart. The Holy Spirit's saying, keep going. Keep pressing in. Like, I know you don't see the outward things that you've wanted to see, it, but keep going. You've heard right. Don't give up. Don't quit. Keep pressing into this. Look at, are you guys with me? Look at verse 27. It says, and he, listen, this is, he's now coming into the temple. And he came in the spirit into the temple. Now, I don't know what exactly that looked like. I don't know if he was doing ordinary things or if he was actually spending time with the Lord. But either way, I'm imagining that the spirit said, Simeon, get up. I want to show you something. Like God was excited to bring in his partner for the things that they've been longing for to see on earth. And it says this, and he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God. 
So here's what happens, is that they were about to bring baby Jesus, eight days old, and bring him through the ordinary customs of the day that you would do for the dedication. And the point is that Simeon actually steps in and says, let me see that baby, lifts him up, and is about to give the greatest baby dedication we've ever seen. But the first thing that's important is that when everyone else saw an ordinary eight-day-old baby, Simeon saw something else. Because Simeon was locked in and preparing his heart for this. And when everyone said, okay, it's time to go through the regular motions with this baby, Simeon said, hold up. This is the son of God. This is what we've been waiting for. He says, let me see this child. And he lifts him up and blesses God and gives the greatest dedication we've ever seen. Sixty years of intercession and expectation collide in a single moment in this man's life. And here's what he says as he lifts up Jesus. He says, Lord... Now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. According to your word. He says, according to your faithfulness. 60 years, he says, but when you spoke that, Lord, you are so faithful to do the very thing that you promised. God doesn't give empty words. God doesn't write checks that bounce. When he speaks, there may be a process. If it was up to me, you know what I'd love? I'd love for God to wait and dump it on me all in a moment. But God often reveals, and then we go through the process of the trial and the testing and wondering if we've heard right. But in the end, there's glory that comes from all of that. And, and, and here, here you have Simeon coming in and saying, according to your word, you've done the very thing. He says, now I can depart in peace. Do you know, do you know what that tells me? That means that prior to this moment, Simeon wasn't operating with peace. Not, I'm not talking about godly peace. What I mean is that Simeon had a holy discontentment in his life until he saw this thing come to pass. This is what we've been talking about, guys, like hunger for the Lord, like a fire in our hearts to say, God, we need to see these things. Lord, we can, again, be successful in every area of our life, but unless I see the thing that you breathe into me, no matter how many years ago, I will not have peace in my heart. And the moment he saw the very thing, what he's saying is now I can let go. Now I can let go. But until then, God says, I want you to have a holy, like, disruption in your heart. We said last week there are times to receive, then there's times to take. Then there are times to take. Like, the Lord is saying, press into this. Take. What does it mean to take? Meaning, there are times where just through your normal rhythms, God is just giving you things with your time with him. Then there's other times you've got to switch it up. There are times, like, when you've got to do things that you never did before. There are times where you've got to, like, make the sacrifice to to press into what he's asking you to do. That's the taking of the Lord. And he says, take it, man, it's yours. I believe that. So here's, here's the next line he says, verse 30. He says, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples. I love that. He holds up baby Jesus and he says, my eyes have seen salvation. This time of the year we're celebrating Savior. Do you know what this means, though? This means that salvation is not a three-step process. Salvation is not embracing an established formula. It's not just about reciting a prayer. He says, my eyes have seen salvation. Salvation is a man. It's a person. Salvation is a Jewish king named Jesus who we can actually connect with him still today by the Spirit. And when his life and yours come into union, you begin to be rescued from yourself and you experience born-again life. He says, my eyes have seen salvation. This is the difference. <laughs> my eyes have seen it. He says this, verse 32. 
a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory to your people, Israel. He's a light to the world. One of the greatest Christmas messages, right? The light of the world has come to us. Jesus. Do you know what it says in Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2? As it prophesies over Jesus, it says there was a great darkness among the people. A thick, great darkness upon the people. You know what that means? Sin, sin had just stained everything that God had made. Absolutely broken. And even if we wanted to get well, we wouldn't even know where to take the first step. Darkness means there's, there's no path to go. But the scripture says that in the midst of a thick darkness, there would be a great light that begins to come upon the people. It actually says the light would dawn upon them. Do you know what that means why that's important? It's important because it means the light had to come into existence. It had to come on us. Because the light that we need is not found from within. It's not found from this world. And the Christmas message, like one of the great realities, is that the light that our hearts ache for, he came. And I believe, like even today, especially right now in this moment, that God's light is still dawning upon people who come into awareness that they don't possess the light they need, but would surrender their hearts to Jesus. That light will come upon them and clothe them with it. Their eyes will be open, and the pain and brokenness of living apart from Christ will be swallowed up in his goodness. How do you do that? Jesus, Jesus, who is perfect light, when he was crucified on the cross, you know what it said? He breathed his last breath. It said darkness came over the land. He who is perfect light entered into our darkness so that we who are in darkness could come into his light. It's a glorious reality. He says this, verse 33. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. They marveled at these things. They're still trying to grasp who is this baby Jesus. And then they said, and then Simeon said this, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother. He's about to change the tide a little bit. What he's about to say, Mary may be like, all right, give me my baby back after this. <laughs> because now he says, behold, the child is appointed, destined for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed. And then he says this to Mary. It's a really interesting. He says, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also that, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. You know, what's, you know what he's, Simeon's saying here? He's saying, Mary, your child will be the most loved and hated person that's ever walked on this earth. He will cause the rising and falling of many. Jesus will be the most polarizing figure to ever walk on this earth. You will either love him or you will hate him. He says, this was going to happen. Mary probably, like I said, is like, give me my child back. I don't want to hear this. You, you go to a sporting event, right? I like sports. Usually whoever plays well, the MVP, they get an opportunity to share at the end of the game of what, what they accredit their success to. And they'll say something like, I want to thank the big man upstairs. I want to thank God. As long as you say anything like that, everything's kosher. You want stuff to get uncomfortable? You want to see the reporters start to cringe a little bit? You have the person say, I want to thank Jesus Christ. There's something about the name of Jesus that, that, that confronts and makes us, it, it just blows out middle ground and says, you've got to either respond and say, he is who he says he is, or I've got to run from him and, and I, I can't, I've got to despise that. And what, 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 what he's saying here. When he says, he says, the sword will actually pierce your own soul, Mary. This is so important. He says, this, this child, light, joy, peace. He says, but his, his leadership is going to pierce your own heart. In other words, he says, Mary, his leadership and his life is going to start to affect you personally. You say, what do you mean? He's saying, listen, 
I thought God came to set us free from Roman oppressors. I thought he came to set free all there. And Jesus says, yeah, we'll get to that. Every king is going to become my kingdom. Everything will come under me. I am the Lord of Lord, King of kings. But before I can do that, he says, before I, you can bring my kingdom, you've got to let my kingdom rule within you. That's, that's, that's what's happening. The sword must pierce your own soul. The sword is one that it, it's, it's threatening and dangerous. And you say, man, I thought the, 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 the arrival of Jesus is good news. It is. He brings peace, joy. He brings all these things. But they first come after inner conflict. Why? Because his leadership confronts me trying to lead my own life. And that's a conflict in me. It begins to sting because it touches pride. It touches my desire to want to be self-righteous. But if I yield to that, guess what happens? The abundant life that he promises, I walk in. He says the sword will touch you. If you let his sword of his leadership touch you, I promise you this, everything Jesus promises, you will walk in it. A surgeon who wants to remove a tumor has to first cut the individual and their blood spills out. But that creates a pathway to healing. A counselor who wants to deal with someone's depression often brings up Painful memories first. But if they walk through that, there's healing. And Jesus says, I am life, I am peace, I am joy. But if you've got to yield your life to me, and if you do, you'll experience those things. They will abound and burst within your heart. You say, well, how do I, how do I find the courage and the strength to let the sword of the Lord's leadership touch my heart? Well, you've got to see what he did for you. <laughs> Because when, when Adam and Eve sinned, don't miss this, and they were banished from the eternal life in the presence of God, do you know what God's established? Actually, as a means of mercy, because sin couldn't be in the holy presence, he established a cherubim with what? A flaming sword. A flaming sword. And the reason is, the imagery is, if you're going to have any type of connection with God, you would have to come under the sword. Death is required in order to come before a holy God. Sacrifice would be needed. Which is why the Old Testament pattern is animals came under the knife and the sword in order for the people of God to have some type of connection with God, although so limited because of how insufficient the blood of goats and animals are. But then Jesus comes, the spotless lamb, and he comes under the flaming sword of God the Father so that we could enter back in and have eternal life. And our lives can experience everything that Jesus has come to bring at this season. Man, Brittany, can you come on the keys for a sec? I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to uh, speak into uh, Anna in just a moment. I won't, I won't take long on that. But uh, I just want to stop for a moment here. And I know a lot of people in here, I, I'm familiar with faces. And if, if that's not, you can just keep playing through. I'm not going to speak much longer anyway. But before we move, move past this, I just want to... I want to stop for a moment and just ask. Like a lot of times in my life, I, I was around church. I quoted things. I knew things. I had a language, but I didn't have experience. And the reason why is I, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't yield my life to him. I didn't yield my life. And the Lord, the Lord is offering himself up this morning again. Like the Messiah come, you say, man, that sounds great. Deliverer, the, the, the spirit of Christmas. How, how does that become something that personally touches my life? It's right here. It's when we surrender. And so if there's not a single individual, then, then that's fine and we'll keep moving on. But I want to just ask, is there anyone who has never yielded their life to the Lord in that way and wants to know Jesus in this way? 
And if there is, you can just simply raise your hand. Well, have you ever, ever received Jesus as Lord and Savior? I believe you have, yeah. We're gonna pray at the end just to go deeper as well, all right? So that I'll, we'll pray for you. But is there anybody here? All right, let's keep reading. Look at verse 36. We'll close out here. Most of what I shared with Simeon, you could have shared with Anna. So I just want to highlight something specific. Verse 36, we see Anna get introduced. And listen to this. It says, and there was a prophetess, Anna, the daughter of Phanuel, of the tribe of Asher. Listen to this. This is so incredible, guys. Those of you who are especially a part of this body, wait till you see what it describes her life. She was advanced in years, having lived with her husband seven years from when she was a virgin. And then as a widow until she was 84. Look what it says. She did not depart from the temple, from the house of God, what? Worshiping with fasting and prayer night and day. So for those of you who don't know, back in the beginning of COVID, God radically changed the vision of our body into what we've always called to do, to be a house of prayer. And the vision is that we're going to establish worship and prayer night and day before the Lord. Right now it's Tuesdays, Fridays, but we know it's going to be every single day at some point. And what blows my mind is that Anna and Simeon, especially Anna here, was used, again, as a forerunner, as a spiritual midwife to birth, to see the birthing of Jesus come to pass, to see the, the first coming of Christ. And I believe in the same anointing as being released upon our body through day and night worship and prayer to begin to usher in the promises of God that he has for us, culminating with the return of the Lord. And verse 38 says, and coming up at that very hour, she began to give thanks to God and to speak of him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Jerusalem. So the prophetess became the evangelist as her heart was ready. But here's, here's the picture. She got married probably in her late teens. That's typically going to happen. Seven years of marriage, husband probably dies, but she becomes a widow. That's all that we know. And that's in her 20s, which means for the next 60 years, it says that she makes a radical vow to give her heart to the Lord, to see his promise come to pass. That's what she says. This is what I'm going to do. I'm going to give everything to what God has placed inside of me. For the next 60 years, she's going to spend her life doing that very thing. And it says in the scripture, it says that she did not depart from the temple. Now, she would literally leave the temple, but what it means, just like Simeon, she was devout. She, she lived for a vision bigger than her own life. She lived for something bigger than her own personal gain. Anna kept, the, kept the, the, the lamp burning. She kept the oil flowing. She kept her soul clean. She wouldn't allow herself to be diluted with the pursuit of materialism. She wouldn't allow the word that God put in her to be choked out by the cares of this world. She kept the fire burning and saying, I'm committed to this one thing, to see the Lord come. And here's, here's why I want to close with this. And actually, I feel specifically, some people feel a unique connection to the story of Simeon and Anna, and there's a calling on your life that I want to pray over. But Simeon and Anna, especially Anna, she's 84 years old. 84-year-old Anna, worshiping, praying, spending extended time with the Lord like this, that's good. That's a good retirement plan. We like that. That, that sounds good, that's nice, that's a good way to go out. You know where this gets offensive? When we start considering 20-year-old Anna. 
We start thinking about 30-year-old Anna. We start thinking about the Anna who had a choice in our culture to go to college, but she felt something burning in her heart saying, give your life to this. And everyone else saying, what a waste, what a waste. But Anna's saying, I can't shake what's on my heart. I can't shake that. 20-year-old Anna, that's different. That gets offensive now. 30-year-old Anna, what about in the years where you're supposed to make a mark for your life? What about those years? Yeah, retirement plan's one thing, but when you're supposed to make something for yourself and you say, no, God's calling me to a unique calling to just sit before him, worship, prayer, seek him, and be used as one to bring about his promises on earth. Like, like us as a church, we're engaging this as a body. This is like vision for where we're going, guys. I'm so excited. More and more, God shows me why he's done what he's done in our body. And, and when we started, when COVID started, I, I feel like even my mindset is like, Worship, prayer, day and night, that's cool during COVID. It's cool when things are shut down, but what are you gonna do now in 2021, Pastor, we wanna make a mark? What do you wanna do when you wanna make a difference now? And yeah, we have ministries that are gonna come back, but I feel the Lord saying like, this is worthy of your calling. Like this is an amazing calling to receive. And I honestly, this applies to everyone here as a body, individually, everyone has this apply, but I actually believe that there are certain individuals that when you hear about this, I'm talking about a life that spends six, eight hours before the Lord, like this is what you do. I feel like the Lord say there are some that actually are connecting in a strange way to this. You say, I can't explain it, but my heart comes alive when I think about the ability to be before the Lord like this. Like if it wasn't for money, if it wasn't for some of the things I have to do, like this is what I would do. I got a strange longing inside of me. It's not that this calling's better. It's nothing like that. We're speaking about this today, so I want to highlight it. Is there anyone, because actually I spoke with my wife, and she really identified as well, so maybe it's for her, but is there anyone who feels that? Yeah, Willie, Kira, Jeannie. Are you guys able to come up here? Is that all right? I want to pray for you guys. We can have the rest of the worship team come on up. You don't have to kneel. So don't feel the pressure, Jeannie. If you, you don't have to kneel. Don't worry about it. But I do want time to pray with you guys. So we're just going to begin the worship. I'm just going to go around. I'm going to pray for you corporately, and then I'm going to go around and pray for you individually. Again, if, if people need to go, I understand if you just, we bless you. and Thank you for being with us. I encourage you to stay because after this, I just, I feel that God wants to just like really release hunger in this body across the board. But I wanna specifically pray for those here who feel that Simeon and Nicole in their life. And then worship team, when I'm done, you guys just wanna play and we'll go around. Those of you that are still in this room, I encourage you to, to worship as well. And so Lord, I thank you for the calling that you've placed on these individuals' lives. God, I thank you that in this house, you are raising up Simeons and Annas. You've not only called our body to be marked by this, but you have individuals 
who feel marked by this, Lord. And I thank you, God, that you are able to answer all the questions. God, you have ways. Like when the Israelites, I feel the Lord just reminding when the Israelites were met with, with, with the Red Sea on one side, mountains around them, and the Egyptian army barreling down them on the other side. They had nowhere to go. But God opened up a path where they could not see a path. And in the Psalms, it actually says that God made a way where man could not see a way. And so I thank you, Lord, that you have ways of financial provision for these Simeons and Annas. I thank you, Lord, that you have ways for family and child care. God, I thank you that you have ways for them to be able to maintain and balance all that is on their schedule while making this their life occupation. And so I pray, God, that you would give wisdom, you would give direction, you would give next, next steps. But I pray especially, Lord, that you would give a boldness to step out even though there is so much unknown. some of your steps, especially the first one. But once you take it, God will confirm it by bringing resources and opening doors for you. But I feel he's saying you take the first step. You take the first step. Lord, I pray for an anointing upon them. I pray for an anointing on this body and these individuals, Lord, that they would truly... God, that, that their prayers, their worship, their fastings would move your heart. God, I pray for these individuals right here that they would be used to hasten your activity, to hasten the promises you've spoken to our body here in Mastic Beach, Lord. I pray, Lord, that you would give them divine insight. I pray like Simeon that things would be revealed to them long before you ever do it and that they would be faithful carriers of it. I pray, Lord, for a holy in their hearts and in their spirits that they would not allow themselves to be content with status quo but Lord they would hunger and pursue and not stop until they see the things that you have promised the things that they've written in their journals the things that they've never communicated with another human Lord in Jesus name in Jesus name I'm just going to come around and pray around for freedom worship press into the Lord Just to be you. 